0: Hello, and welcome to In Her Room, women writers on life, craft, and changing the world. I'm your host, Sarah Blackthorne. This week's guest on In Her Room is Liz Lamoureux. An artist, writer, and creator of soul mantras, Liz Lamoureux shows up daily to find the balance between motherhood, creativity, and running a small business. She is a guide for women who seek to excavate their inner truths and leads retreats from the Pacific Ocean to the Midwestern Plains. Her jewelry is more than fashion. It is a personal adornment and an honoring of our own sacred beauty. Often creating with her daughter at her side, Liz brings peace and five deep breaths to each moment in her life. Liz, it is so great to have you on the show today. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much. I'm delighted to talk with you. I'm really excited to have you on this show today. I've been a fan of your work for a long time, um, and I can remember just from your early days of blogging, and also um, I have this very vivid memory of when your first book came out, which is called Inner Excavation. Um, I just remember getting that book in the mail and having a notebook set aside just to work through it, and really finding this whole other experience of um, writing and photography and and connecting with myself that's like way pre-Instagram. And um, so I just have all of these really good memories connected to you and your work. And I'm just so grateful that you said yes to be on the show today.
1: Thank you, honey. That means a lot to me. Thank you.
0: Hmm. I want to start by asking you, what is writing to you?
1: Oh, goodness. Such a good question. Um, Honestly, I think I would call it a lifeline, a way to um, pull out the stuff that can sometimes get stuck inside me. And if you could see me, I'm like putting my hand on my belly, it gets stuck in my belly, it gets stuck in my chest, and it gets way overwhelmingly swirling like Grand Central Station in my head. And writing helps me make sense of of living, of all of that. It's a lifeline to help me pull out one word at a time why I'm here, basically.
0: Yeah, so I would call it a lifeline for me. Mm-hmm. And you have written and shared writing about a lot of major things that have happened in your life. Um, I, I am thinking particularly of the stories that you shared around the birth of your daughter and um, when she needed life-saving heart surgery at four months old and how that really connected with readers from across the globe who maybe weren't in the same situation as you but who could relate and share support. And some of the, the offerings and the things that you've created since um have really continued to foster that sense of community and connection that we're not alone in this world and i'd love to know what community means for you in terms of being a writer and how that has how you create community
1: yeah well um i'm thinking about how before Right before I started writing on my blog, so 10, 10 years ago, I was at a yoga retreat where we had a kind of writing component. Um, and one of the things that we did was write kind of a mission statement statement for ourselves. So I'd been reading blogs for a couple of months. Um, and like uh, Carrie Smith and Andrea Scher and Christine Mason Miller, Jen Gray, when she used to write often, I miss those days, um, a certain kind of woman who was near my age, a little older than me, who was kind of telling the true stories of what it was like to be a woman in her twenties or or early thirties at the time. And, um, my mission statement included me writing something like, I want to write the true stories so that others, so that I will feel less alone. Mm. And, That has, that's been the driving force since then. I mean, it was really a pivotal moment to drill down to those words. And um, I come back to, so as a kid, I watched Mr. Rogers um, every day when I would come home from preschool and my mom tells the story that I would, because we lived um, about two hours from Chicago, we got the South Bend, Indiana um, PBS station and the Chicago station. So I could watch him back to back. And um, it was like an hour with my therapist for real. (laughs) Um, And he, the way he would talk right to me and say, you know, I like you just the way you are and say, it's okay to be scared about this. I remember an episode where he talked about um, the Hulk, which was a TV show in the eighties and that it was okay to be scared, but it was just pretend. And so he would identify concerns I had of just being a thoughtful little kid in the family that I was in and all that that means. And he created community with me just by talking to me like I was, um, like I, I was a person who was allowed to feel all the feelings. And so early on when I started writing on my blog, I started using second person saying you. Knowing that I didn't really know who I was talking to, you know, I might for everything from was anyone really reading back at the beginning, to knowing that complete strangers that I may never ever talk to or know would be reading, but I wanted them to feel like I was talking to them because the things early on um, I shared about, and I still do. My grandmother died ten years ago, and it was a it really was the, my first experience with deep grief over a death. I'd had other griefs in my life, but not over someone who I loved so much dying. And so part of my early blogging is me figuring out how to cope with or how to not cope with really, but live in the new reality of not having her in my life in the way I was used to. And my, the early responses to that were that I, people really helped me feel seen but that I was in return helping them feel seen because grief is universal. We all experience the death of people in our lives. We all do. It's a certainty. And um, it helped me to begin to feel community, even though everyone didn't know each other. Right. And, it, and they may never, the readers on my blog may never talk to each other. We may never be in the same room. Um, and so I began to feel community in that way, but I did feel like there was a gap then because I was feeling this connection, but you know, you can only really hug your laptop and feel so much love in return. right? You can't really, you know, get that one-on-one. Yeah. Yeah. That love, that love that you feel when someone looks in your eyes and says, I see you. Um, And it's, and it's why then I, after going to a few art retreats decided to, Host retreats myself because I wanted to create that safe space where we could say to one another, "I see you. Here's my story. Will you catch it for me?" and and have you know the opportunity for people to say, "I've I've caught this for you." Um, and maybe they don't use those exact words, of course, but that's really important to me. And so, I'm as usual. I'm very long winded with my answers, but um, I appreciate the opportunity to think about how early on. That community was there between me and just one person. And that's how I thought about it. If one person could read about me telling the truth about how deeply I missed my grandmother and what a sucker punch grief could be, if one person got it, not only would I be validated that the feeling was okay to have, but they would know that it was okay to miss someone that much too and still keep going. You still get to keep going too. A choice you get, you have to then keep going with that new part of your story. Um, hmm. Yeah. But it feels super important to think about 10 years later to continue to be thinking about how I can create more community that's not always online because we are missing that physical presence and touch, even if it's not even that someone's actually touching you, but that physical presence of of knowing you're not alone in a way where you really do sometimes need someone to hug you and, um, to, to, to figure out for myself and to also provide opportunities for other women to be in conversation about how they can make that happen for themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and as that relates to writing for me is, um, it well it's, it's for all women, but, um, those of us that tell our stories through words, we need someone to hear them, and we need someone to also push us to write so that we don't just keep the stories inside us. Um,
0: yeah. hmm Absolutely. I think one of the benefits of having community is that sense of accountability, mm-hmm. which can sometimes become overwhelming. Yeah. You know, there can be sort of an undue pressure to keep creating and keep writing but when it's done in a way that feels really safe and nourishing I think that's a real gift for allowing ourselves to be accountable Mm
1: -hmm. yeah
0: and and you talk you mentioned that you started leading retreats and one form that those retreats take is the be present retreats which Mm -hmm. is um a retreat that's not just about writing but writing is a big part of it yeah um and I think that that's important to to recognize that container Mm -hmm. and the pieces that come in it and to allow that space for for real physical interaction Mm -hmm. Um, i'm i'm suddenly reminded of uh this tagline for a record store in madison wisconsin um called strictly discs which sounds strange but it, it their primary sale is uh vinyl and they have this tagline that says, get physical with your music. Yeah, I love that. And, I, love that. and I, I think of that also when I think about writing and how circling with other writers, particularly circling with other women writers, be it at a retreat or in a, a reading group or a critique or a public reading, can be a way for us to have that physical connection and that physical community. In what's really such a solitary practice.
1: Yeah, yes, it's so true. It's so true. And I think that it can be true of any creative medium that it can feel so solitary when you're when it feels solitary when you're doing it sometimes, and also it feels really solitary when you're thinking about how you should be doing it. And you're putting that, you know, pressure on yourself that um, I should write every day. I should do what Anne Lamott says and get my butt in the chair. And then as women, and I can, since I am a woman, I can only speak to the women's experience and I talk and work with women mostly. As women, we put so much pressure on ourselves and we can create such a story around shame and guilt for ourselves about not doing the things that we're called to do or that we want to do. And we can get so stuck in those stories that we don't just write. If you want to write, you got to write. I mean, that's it right there. And, and yet, We can create everything from, I would start writing if I just had a writing group, or if I only had five days away at the Oregon coast, I could get my writing practice started, right? We have all those excuses. Um, And it is a reason why I love the internet is that we can find other people who say, well, wait a minute, let's be writing buddies and hold each other accountable. But when you do have the opportunity to truly retreat from your day-to-day life to come to a retreat or even a workshop for an evening or a day with like-minded women who are seeking ways to make sense of their lives using creativity in some form or another, it creates, I don't know if it's the right term to say it. It feels like it, 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 it hits a specific frequency of, um, of connection and of validation and, um, And there's kind of magic that can happen, and it doesn't happen every time, but it happens a lot of the time, where within that retreat space, at least the ones that I host, I push people, I do it very gently, but it feels very important to push them to participate in the activities that are going to include writing, and more than likely writing a poem with me, which scares the the bejesus out of people (laughs) in many ways, because... Poetry is such a unique medium that people think they don't get or they don't know how to write a poem. Um, And then depending on the retreat, they may also have the opportunity to do some painting or art in some form to take photos. We often do self-portrait photos. So they're turning the camera on themselves. So it pushes them out of their comfort zone in a safe space so they can realize they can do it so that hopefully then they can begin to replicate that same experience for themselves when they get home. Mm. But when you have the chance to come away like that, um, there is that in person, I mean, I love that timeline for that record store. There is that in-person piece of sitting in a room where i've I've given a writing prompt, and everyone is just, you know pulling it from their lives because we it's I, I don't teach fiction writing, so we're we're usually taking a prompt that could be anything from, um, a a prompt like the kitchen table to, um, a prompt like, uh, Susan Wildridge uses, um, I come from, and I've done, I've used her prompt. I come from sometimes, you know, a prompt that we all can relate to, um, the story of home begins is another one I love to use. And people are going to be pulling from last week and from 28 years ago. Um, and, and then in that space, there's that chance to share this glimpse into the the true stories that you hold inside you that are now on a page. And um, it's very powerful. It's very
0: powerful. Mm. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned um, writing a poem with you and, and sitting down and writing poetry and, and using some of those prompts. Um, one thing that you share with the world is called Poem It Out. And I'd love to hear about how that came to be and and what it means for you as both a teacher and a guide and also um, what how you're bringing that into community. Mm-hmm. So this idea of Poem
1: It Out, I see I wanted to take... Um, I wanted to make poetry feel like like it's an action, like, you know, we dance it out, right? And that's, I think, about Grey's Anatomy where Meredith and Christina would talk about, we got to dance it out. And it's so physical. And and if you're someone who does like to listen to music or dance, you can get in that space of just moving your body and shaking it out like Taylor Swift too, now shake it out. Um, And I wanted to take that dance it out feel because writing poetry became for me a way that I do dance it out on the page. Um, it feels like sometimes the words are like pulsing through me, insisting to get, to get out of me. And I wanted to give people a new way of looking or a different way of looking at poetry um, that felt more like how dancing it out can feel freeing and silly and powerful and something that you feel like you have to do and you know will shift the energy of your life. So that's where that kind of phrase, poem it out, came from, of my own experience of poetry helping me, you know, I I like I think of myself like tapping on my knee, like get the words out of my body and onto the page. Um, and reading poetry can do that for me, too. I mean, it can be a very similar experience of feeling um, you can you can read a poem and because you can read it in a contained amount of time that's usually minutes long sometimes seconds you can go yes yes this is it yes you can have that kind of response to it and so I wanted people to experience that but in a way that felt accessible as opposed to oh yeah I teach workshops on poetry um, that doesn't feel as accessible and I was also really wanting to make it clear that I'm I'm not focusing on traditional poetry or what I would call um, kind of an academic poetry world and that's a perfectly wonderful world to live in but the everyday person who I was trying to connect with who isn't in that world can't always relate to it because they're just not in an academic world all the time so I wanted it to be a practice that almost anyone can do Um, and so how it relates to community to me is by offering it in an e-course form or offering it at my retreats or other retreats and workshops, it gives that kind of magical space that I was talking about before for people to write about something, but I usually only give them a few minutes, which is, you know, such a scary thing to a lot of people. It's usually about if I'm playing music, it's usually two Paul Simon songs I'll play, you know, where I'm going to give you a topic and you're going to just write. And I'm not interested in you needing to write a poem that you'll someday publish, although you might. What I'm interested in is you experiencing that magic of taking a prompt, the story of home begins. And I often use, um, I mentioned Susan Wildridge earlier. She is um, someone who I adore and, and a friend, and she teaches wonderful workshops inspired by her book, Poem Crazy. And she's She is the, the writer who taught me what I understood when it came to other art forms like painting, but she taught me that the words don't have to all come from my head. And by that, I mean that when you're writing, you can surround yourself with words, everything from dictionary pages to, um, I I like to use those SAT vocabulary cards to, She, in her book, Poem Crazy, uses word tickets, which are cutting words from magazines and taping them onto the back of little tickets like you'd get at the fair, um, that you can surround yourself with words that you can then use when you're writing. And so it's fun to kind of introduce that idea to people inspired by her so that we don't get stuck on the perfect word instead of getting the story out of us. And the perfect word can come later. And, you know, I spent several years of my life working as an editor. So I know that world too. But when it comes to writing as a form of, um, as that lifeline I'm talking about, you know, editing your work as you're going will stop you from getting the story onto the page, in my opinion. And so I don't even want people to be in that headspace when they're palming it out with me. I just want them to write the words on the page, which is why having you know, dictionary pages or circling words on a newspaper article that you like or whatever, using those kinds of prompts can be super fun for people and create that sense of community of like, she's making us write a poem, but we're all in it together. Mm-hmm. and We all have these tools we're going to use. And so um, I think that that actually making a room of people write a poem Creates instant community because they're so scared of it. Um, not to laugh at them, I'm not laughing at them, but to laugh at the absurdity of how I've not really thought about it like that. But it does because we have a bit of a problem we're going to all do together, even though we're working on it individually.
0: Mm-hmm. And you mentioned Susan Muldrich, and I, I, love that. I have, um, I have this really visceral memory of being 17 years old in New York City on a high school choir trip and going to the Barnes and Noble in Times Square and buying her book, Palm Crazy. Love, Love that. And, and still having that book to this day and having carried it with me for 13 years. Yeah. But that, you know, going into a bookstore in Times Square and walking out with one book. I love that. And that book has traveled with me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I love that, that her work comes in and that, that she brings that. And it's, you know, yes, it's it's a book that's a, over a decade old, but it's still so relevant. And, and I still even pull it down off the shelf when I need a boost. Yeah. In- it's that piece of it invites you to get unstuck. And so some of the ways that I approach
1: teaching writing can become teaching poetry the Palm it out piece and stuff can and her book can become kind of loosening up exercises like warm-ups for someone who is tackling their book that they want to write. You know, it can get you away from the preciousness of that that statement of when you say, you know, I'm working on my book that can start to feel precious. Mm-hmm. And we can also, our ego can get involved in it too, right? Because when a person feels a longing to write, they want to be seen as a writer. So the more I drop in sentences of I'm working on my book, I'm working on my book, the more I can feel like I'm really doing it. And that can be good, but it can also be paralyzing. Um, It's why like it, it I um, was the yoga teacher at Jen Loudon's fantastic writing retreat last summer. So I was lucky enough to Come along for the ride as as a kind of assistant, and um, and also then take the classes. And she, when the few times when people do share their writing, she doesn't allow any feedback, positive or negative. And that's so important and powerful because. And it, and people would think, why not positive feedback? Because a couple of things. One, you can tell someone that it's great because you feel like you have to, when in reality maybe it wasn't. We don't ever want to talk about that side of it, but also someone can be the person who gets the most applause in the group and that can affect other people, but it can also affect them because then when they go back to write on, they write on the page, they think it's not as good as that. I'll never be able to do that again. Mm -hmm. Um, and that can be just as detrimental. So anyway, I digress as usual, but (laughs) it's so, I think it's so important and having those warm-up exercises, I think gets us away from the preciousness. Does that make sense?
0: Yes, absolutely. No, I love it. And I I totally, I totally get it. Um, I was reminded when you were talking about your retreat and some of the work that you do both in your retreat space and also, and some of the work that you do in inner excavation as well, which is, um, I think, really come forward into something you call the mirror meditation course. And that is this idea of, of really looking at ourselves um, with genuineness and with kindness and really seeing where we are and, and appreciating ourselves in this moment for this moment. And I'd love to hear more about that course and, and how that comes to be. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so the course about the mirror
1: meditation comes out of this practice I read about in yoga journal almost 10 years ago that Elizabeth Gilbert actually wrote the article. I don't think I had, I don't remember when Pray Love came out, but I don't think I had heard of that book or it was even out then. I'm not sure. But anyway, she talked about how a, a teacher of hers gave her this meditation to stand in front of the mirror and just look at yourself in the mirror. And, um, it prompted me to start doing it. And I did it for almost daily for two months. And I shared about it on my blog at the time. And a few people joined in and, um, it was kind of my first, I didn't realize it at the time, my first like mini free e-course, you know, because I would send emails about it and stuff. But, um, that practice of standing in front of the mirror becomes a way for me for it, several things. But one of the big things it helps me do is, um, sift through all that stuff, the, what some call like the gremlins, the negative self-talk to push that to the side, to check in with myself. Um, I sometimes have meetings with myself almost in front of the mirror saying, how you doing? What's happening for you right now? Um, And it's a way to accept myself for who I am and how I look. There is that side of it of I now look at myself with much softer eyes, and I did at the end of that two months. and it's and it has remained that way. I was a person who was very critical of being a curvier woman and never being thin enough and you know, um, not being pretty enough. And that act of looking in the mirror really helped me just feel seen by myself, where I just saw me as this woman who's doing the best she can and is stumbling and making mistakes. and finding joy and seeing the beauty in the everyday and all of those things. So it made me as cliche as it sounds, love myself more, but it also became an everyday tool to use, um, to get out of the swirlingness of my head and kind of back into my body and back into my heart. And there's a lot of I'm very much into practices. I call them usually creative self-care practices or mindfulness practices. Everything from taking 5 deep breaths to going on a walk with your camera. You know, lots of things I share in the work I do. But this one practice of looking at yourself in the mirror can be one you can do almost anywhere. I mean, if you start to notice mirrors are everywhere, you can find your reflection at almost any moment. And then you give yourself the gift of feeling seen by the one person who really gets you, and you mentioned earlier that I I did uh, some some writing around the time that um, my daughter Eleanor had um, was born and had heart surgery, and um, and I began to realize when we kind of came out of the urgency of it, she's doing great now, and she was doing great after the surgery, um, but. I began to realize that one reason I didn't completely lose my mind during that very scary, uncertain time is I was using these practices and they were kind of automatic to me. So I was looking in the mirror and I started, I did for several months chronicling almost a daily photo of myself and I took in the mirror a reflection photo. And it was a way to practice the mirror meditation and also a way to have tangible evidence that I wasn't disappearing. So not only would I look in the mirror, but I would take a photo that I could then look at and know I wasn't disappearing into the story of what was happening to us. Um, and as I started to see how those how that practice helped me so much, I knew I wanted to bring it to other people because it began to be the one practice I would say when people would say, I really want to believe I'm enough and I don't know where to begin. Um, That's often the practice I invite people to begin with, even though people can recoil at the thought of it. I mean, I seem to work with things that people can recoil at, like poetry and looking at themselves in the mirror. But when we push through that fear or the stories that we have surrounding the idea of spending time alone looking in the mirror, we will find ourselves which is what we're all trying to do anyway, you know, and writers can relate to that so much of every time you're putting your hands on the keyboard, in many ways, you're trying to find yourself within the stories you're telling and um, the mirror becomes a way into that. Mm. And so the course is 30 days of practicing that in community. And also um, there's also a self-portrait component too to bring that in to, so that you have this tangible evidence of yourself. Um, yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. That's powerful stuff. Mm. I think it's okay to work with things that people tend to recoil from. Um, <laughs> I know. Isn't that funny?
1: <laughs> I never, I mean, it's always serious. Like I'm that. I'm not, I have that story, you know, we all carry our stories around and one of mine is that as a kid I was too serious. I took things too seriously. Mm, me too. But yeah, I mean, I, I, it's, I think that's probably true of a lot of writers, right? I want to say raise your hand if that's you listening to <laughs> yep. this right now. Um, but I now see it as like one of my superhero powers because life is pretty hard. And life is full of unexpected stuff, unexpected sadness, unexpected joys unexpected you know we can't control what other people are going to do and all of that we fall in and out of love and people die and i mean all those things people make promises that they can't keep for so many reasons and on and on and and so i'm honored to create a space where we can talk about the serious things at the same time that doesn't mean like as a child i thought i'm too serious so no I that people don't think I'm any fun. I'm I'm boring or mm-hmm. I'm not funny or I don't know how to laugh or whatever. Even though that's not how I felt, I felt like I knew how to laugh and like I was silly and funny at times. Um and I now see like, you know, my favorite thing, one of my favorite things in the world is the lip sync off on Jimmy Fallon show and doing my own versions of that. And that's where I get to or my dancing it out, and that I like to do. That's where I get to, you know, do. I get to shake it, shake off all that seriousness too, and playing with my daughter. And I mean, the list could go on and on. But just because I want to talk about the serious things, um, doesn't mean that there isn't also so much joy. And laughter, and that I'm not funny because I'm actually pretty funny, but mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but that that recoiling piece does become, in all honesty, it is its own battle. In the sense that, battle is kind of a strong word, but when you're an entrepreneur, you kind of feel like you're battling some days. How do you let people know that they're going to be okay within that practice or medium or whatever it is that they um, that they're afraid of. Mm. And, and to me it is by living it yourself so they can see you doing it. In this case, me, obviously, so Mm -hmm. that how I share on Instagram or the stories I share on my blog, um, even the things I pin over on Pinterest, where I spend a lot of time as well, sharing things with a large audience over there. I'm, I'm navigating kind of that social media or online world and trying to share my own vulnerabilities so that people can know it is okay to want to feel seen by yourself and by others, of course, too. But my act of sharing is an invitation to feel seen by other people, of course. Um, But it is, it is an interesting thing to make a living, (laughs) you know, sharing practices that are tough for people. And that's where I come back to like Mr. Rogers. You know, some people think Mr. Rogers is super cheesy. And, you know, he had his little rhythm. He takes off his coat, puts on his sweater, changes his shoes, sings to you the same song every day. And that created the sense of safety where kids could feel vulnerable. And he filled in the spaces that my parents, because of the dynamics of our family, that they couldn't give me they gave me a lot and I, I, love my parents very much, but of course all parents can't give their children everything. And, and so I hope that my sharing from a place of, you know, of the true stories of, of being vulnerable, um, helps people to know that they, that they aren't alone and that they can try these practices too. Yeah. You know?
0: Absolutely. I would be really honored if you might share some of your own writing.
1: Yeah, sure. So one thing that I, when I talk about that, um, writing helps me, you know, pull out the stories and is a lifeline for me. Um, I'm really interested in what happens when you let yourself write from kind of the sadness and letting that be okay, I guess. And so, um, you know, following that thread, I think of um, that movie "Something's Got to Give" with Diane Keaton and Jack Nichol- Is it Nicholson, right? And um, and she's writing and sobbing, and you know, writing on her laptop and just sobbing as the French music's playing. And that um, it's okay to do that. Now, that doesn't mean that's going to be the piece that you maybe should publish, right? You're going to have to edit that thing. But um, I, I like to give people permission to write about the moments that are filled with that. And I like to give myself permission to follow the thread that comes up when a memory appears. And it can be that kind of sucker punch of grief. Um, and so this is a piece of writing that comes from that idea. Um, here we go. And I wrote this, oh, it's been a few years ago. Um, it feels important to give the context I wrote it that um, after my grandfather died. It was the hash browns, the chopped green pepper with onion and potatoes with a bit of ketchup, the sucker punch in the form of a wave arrived. As I blinked back tears, I wondered where this came from as I suddenly imagined myself climbing into the passenger seat of a silver Buick to ride along to the trash dump. We would turn onto to one of those named after a flowering southern tree streets. And suddenly the air would be filled with, you picked a fine time to leave me, Lucille. And I would start to giggle. And then you would say, I can sing better than that guy. What's his name again? And I would laugh harder and playfully roll my eyes and say, Grandpa, you know, it's Kenny Rogers. Sometimes I would join in for a chorus of the next song. Oh, Ruby, don't take your love to town. But mostly it was all about Lucille and I would listen to you and giggle. In this moment of this memory, I wish I remembered more. Trips to visit you were so often about her. Well, you, you who would answer the tan rotary phone on the wall in the kitchen and upon hearing my voice say, hold on, let me get your grandma. You know this. You understand perhaps more than anyone that she and I were friends. I guess I want to believe that I helped make things softer in your world by being her friend. I tried. In this moment, as I sit in this restaurant after hash browns and eggs, I wish I remembered every single moment of each minute spent in that house with you, with both of you. And then this piece was written a few days later. that con- continues it. Tonight, as I try to wrap my brain around confusion over something else entirely, I suddenly find myself coming back to the tears while eating hash browns two days ago. The truth that bubbles up tonight that I tried to will aside while eating breakfast two days ago, the truth that bubbles up in this moment, because I didn't visit after visiting every year for my whole life, because I didn't visit you after she died, and while I was not visiting, you were becoming a shadow of you. I just didn't wrap my brain, or rather, my brain refused to wrap around the truth that it was really, truly you I spent time with those, those days in April in South Carolina a few weeks ago. Yet, I know my brain knows that I actually spent quite a bit of time whispering to you and brushing your hair down in places and gently, barely touching the top of your head. My brain knows it was you, so maybe it is my heart yes it must be my heart that refuses to wrap itself around the truth that i did not that i did not visit you one time after she died except for after she died but i am not counting that because you know that i mean really visit me who had spent many most loved memories that rest inside this heart of mine with you i did not visit you when she was no longer there i did not drive up and see you standing in her spot at the kitchen window as the curtains fluttered just before you walked out to greet me and to say, so you found it okay? And I will say yes while smiling to myself thinking, but of course I did, as I have been coming here every year, at least once for my entire life. And then you will ask if I am hungry because you made sloppy joes just like she used to. And it will be very easy to warm them right up in the saucepan. And you have some cranberry juice because you know I like that just like she did. And even though I will think about how odd that combination might be, I instead say, that sounds perfect. But no, I won't let you carry my suitcase up the steps into my room that was her room. And after I put the suitcase down, I will stand in that kitchen and then I'll stand in that room and breathe in the few remaining pieces of her and then smile as I hear you in the kitchen as you open the cupboard for the saucepan so you can heat up the Slappy Joes. And I will touch the blanket on her bed with my fingertips and say, it's okay, we've got him now. And I will walk down the hall and through the family room to sit at the kitchen table and tell you about the drive and the rain through the Smokies and how I sang my way through the curves of the mountains and then listen to Louis Brizzard after I hit the North Carolina border. Tonight, this body that houses this heart full of those most loved memories stands neck deep in this truth. This truth that I did not visit you and I cannot breathe. I wonder how it is that anyone expects me to be someone else, that I am expected to be my best self for someone else when I stand neck deep in this truth. I am so sorry that I didn't get on a plane sooner than the Saturday morning of the day you died. And I know that you know the love. Yes, I do know this. As I hear your voice saying one of the last sentences you ever said, as you said, I love you over the phone to me. My heart holds this truth, but I stand neck deep in another truth the truth of knowing that I won't ever start my day waking up to the sounds of you in the kitchen with leftover potatoes that will become our breakfast. In this moment, as I hear the distant sound of a plane and Millie settles onto the floor at my feet and my husband gets ready for bed and the rhythm of the fan that turns the air around me, in this moment, I close my eyes and hear distant sounds of a Cubs game and a rocking chair and a pencil on a crossword puzzle, and you look up at me and say, Cubs win, Cubs win, wanna go for a ride? And I say, yes, and we turn the corner and your voice fills the air. You picked to find time to leave me, Lucille. I reach for your hand and say, I love you too, Gramps. And you know, and I know, and it is okay. I am okay and here breathing in and out, doing the best that I can. And I know that you know that too.
0: Liz, I'm curious, what's the best advice you've ever received?
1: Oh, goodness. I would love to be able to just rattle something off, but give me just a second here. Um, You know, there's that, I had a moment with my great aunt a few years ago where she said something really great that was along the lines of, um, she was telling me a story about being in her, I I don't think it was when they moved out here from, she lived in Indiana and then they moved out to to Washington. And she said something like, I just decided I was going to be myself because there was nobody else to be. (laughs) And that moment I was like, oh my gosh, why didn't someone tell me that (laughs) when I was 14? Um, and I loved that. So that that I I often use the phrase, you know, just show up as you. Um, and that phrase kind of comes out of that conversation with her of, you know, she was probably 89, 90 years old when she was telling me the story, and she was so just in in it like there's nobody else to be. Um, it's just so fantastic. So that's probably one of my favorite pieces of advice anyone's ever given me.
0: Yeah. Mm. I love it. (laughs) Well, I want to take a moment and sort of turn that question around and give you a chance to speak directly to listeners and to share some of your wisdom with them. I love that.
1: Well, if you were sitting with me, you out there listening, if you were sitting with me in one of my favorite coffee shops at a table, and we were looking at each other and drinking our tea, I would really want you to hear me say that you can just show up as you. You can tell your stories, whether you're writing them on a page, whether you're sitting with one trusted person and saying, there's this story rattling around me that I want to tell someone else whether you're sitting at a park and um, quietly recording the story into your phone so you have it because it's come to you, you can just show up as you when you're telling those stories and let go of the need to write like anyone else, to be like anyone else, and to just be you and to let yourself have the guides that you have in your life But know that you are the one with that brave wisdom inside you who knows what to do next. So find a way to quiet all those voices and come back to the one voice inside you that knows what to do next. That's what I really want you to tell. I really want to tell you if we were sitting together in a favorite coffee shop. Mm.
0: Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah. And Liz, thank you so much for being here. It's been really it's been really special to have you on the show today. Well, thank you. If listeners want to learn more about you and your work, they can find you at lizlamaroo.com. And that link, along with links to everything else we've talked about in the show today, will be available on the podcast Blog episode. Liz, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. It was so wonderful to talk about these things, and I appreciate you listening. You are listening to In Her Room Women Writers on Life, Craft, and Changing the World. I'm your host, Sarah Blackthorne. I'm so glad you're a part of the In Her Room community. Without listeners like you, the show would not be possible. On our website, in her room.com, you'll find show notes, learn how to work with me, and have an opportunity to contribute financially to keep In Her Room on the air. Next week on In Her Room, we'll talk with writer, teacher, and lover of the prairies, Susan Carroll Hauser. I'm Sarah Blackthorne. Let's tell our stories together.